Welcome to What That Means with Camille, companion episodes to the In Technology podcast. In this series, Camille asks top technical experts to explain, in plain English, commonly used terms in their field, then dives deeper, giving you insights into the hottest topics and arguments they face. Get the definition directly from those who are defining it. Now, here is Camille Moorhart. Welcome to today's podcast. We're going to talk about all things encryption. In fact, what that means, encryption and encrypted computing. And I have with me today, Ro Kamarota. He is Principal Engineer in Intel Labs Security and Privacy Lab, and he's also Chief Scientist for Privacy Enhanced Computing Research. Welcome to the podcast, Ro. Thank you, Camille. Thanks for having me. So, Ro, it's great to have you on this podcast. Thank you for joining us. And I wanted to kick it off by asking you about a new software development kit for encrypted computing. And then we'll get into what is encrypted computing and and how does it work and what are some of the problems it's going to solve. But this was just introduced at Intel Innovation not too long ago. So can you tell us more about it? So quite recently, you know, at Innovation, we uh, announced that the Encrypted Computing Software Development Kit, which provides a number of standardized interfaces to write software that can process encrypted data with the homomorphic encryption and can target uh, a simulation environment that simulates the accelerator that we are building within the uh, DARPA Deprived program. That's fantastic. Okay, well, let's get into the definition of encrypted computing next. What is it? What does it mean? So yeah, let's start with encrypted computing. So encrypted computing refers basically to the ability of a computer to process encrypted data uh, without ever decrypting it. So you might wonder, how is this different from what we do today? Well, today we try to keep data encrypted as long as you can, until you have to process data. When you have to process data, it has to be decrypted before you can actually start processing. In encrypted computing, we are envisioning computers that keep data encrypted even in CPU registers and the caches and never decrypting it. How is this useful? Well, the meaning of encrypted computing really means reaching the pinnacle of uh, data privacy, because being the data always uh, encrypted, even during computation, not only prevents uh, data leaks when data is temporarily not in use, and that's what typical encryption does by providing confidentiality of data, but if data is processed in its encrypted form, the other benefit that you have is that the input the intermediate results of the computation, as well as the output, are all encrypted. And somehow now the output is not correlated in its encrypted form to the intermediate values of the computation as well as the input. So now confidentiality becomes a lot larger in its meaning and it starts overlapping with data privacy. Okay. And did this used to be referred to as homomorphic encryption and now we're calling it just encryption? Yes. So there are many ways to process encrypted data. 
homomorphic encryption as a number of properties that are appealing mm-hmm. uh, in terms of its applications. And foundational to our encrypted computing technology is basically enabling homomorphic encryption. Okay. Um, and how does homomorphic encryption differ from other kinds of encryption? So, so let's start with the concept of homomorphism in mathematics. So homomorphism means the same shape. So practically, it means that if you have an algebraic system, so typically the set of integers, for example, and you know that you can uh, process integers in a certain way. So an homomorphism is a map that basically transforms the integers into a different form. Let's say it transforms integers into butterflies. And it preserves the operation. So now you can perform operation in the set of butterflies without ever looking at the integers. And only when you reach the results of your operations, you revert to the process. Now, there is a, an intellectual uh, challenge into here that typically homomorphisms, they do exist, but they are very difficult to be proven uh, secure from a cryptographic perspective. And that's been the case for the past 30 years or 40, if I may say. And at the same time, when you have a classic crypto systems as you have today, like the advanced encryption standard, it does not carry an homomorphism. So what that means, if I have two ciphertexts encrypted with the advanced encryption standard, and I try to process them together, somehow the result is not the processing of the data enveloped in the ciphertext. And that's because typical encryption does a heavily use of nonlinear functions that do not preserve the homomorphism, so to speak. Okay. So talk to us about practical applications of encrypted computing. I mean, I am familiar with confidential computing also, which is this notion of isolating and protecting workloads while they're being processed and not decrypting them until there's been you know, verification of the security of an environment. You're talking about something different. You're talking about keeping workloads encrypted 100% of the time. I assume that it's been not feasible to date because it takes too much performance away. Is that the case or what's changing now that it's closer to emergence? So what has changed today? Many things. So the first thing is that being a new type of encryption technology, fundamentally, it needs to have standards and best practices associated with it. And those are being formed in the past few years, especially at the International Standards Organization uh, that is producing a standard to capture common aspects of this cryptography and its parameterization for its use in practice. So this was not there before. So standardization becomes a big part of this effort. The second thing, there has been basically attention not only of academia, but also industry research, peculiarly with IBM research, Microsoft research, and also Intel Labs at some point, to pay attention on methods to process encrypted data. But today, what is different is that Homomorphic encryption is being standardized. It means that a family of encryption methods becomes a very identified subset of encryption methods that are pretty much stable in their development. And they are expensive from a computational perspective. But because now the field is kind of stable, there have been investments in creating hardware to accelerate homomorphic encryption. 
I am referring basically probably to the largest investment that has been put in hardware from amorphic encryption from the United States government, which is the DARPA Deprived Program, which at Intel, uh, we, we are part of that program. And uh, we are developing basically an hardware platform that is filling the gap in terms of performance in encrypted computing versus the clear text computation. So now today, for example, you can aggregate data that comes from multiple sources, and this data is homomorphically encrypted, and you can either learn on this data like or draw insights from this data by querying it anonymously with speeds and performance that are tolerable. And just to give you an example, when it started 20 years ago that industry research started paying attention to homomorphic encryption, the status was that processing encrypted data was a trillion times slower mm. than uh, processing the clear text data. 10 years later, in spite of the advances in um, uh, computer architecture, the performance profile has been pretty much flat, and what really contributed to uh, reducing these performance tax associated with uh, uh, processing encrypted data were theoretical breakthrough, you know, moving from execution of Boolean circuit to, to arithmetic circuit, exploiting a different level of parallelism in uh, the algorithm. Now, in 2021, as the DARPA program started, and it poses a very ambitious goal of reducing the performance tax by at least four orders of magnitude, Within four years. What is that? If you lop off four zeros of a trillion, what are you at? Then? Oh, you are going to within 10x. Okay. <laughs> because of the theoretical advances, you jumped from a trillion to just a million. And while a million is still mm-hmm. a lot, going from a trillion to a million <laughs> is actually, <laughs> it's actually significant. Now, basically, you are saying as everything is stable, now we can add the hardware to jump from this million to within 10x over it. And it's quite remarkable because it enables many applications that otherwise were not there before. Okay, so can you talk to us about what is happening with quantum computing and this notion that the encryption system that the world relies on is going to break? And is there a solution for that? And how far along is it? So it is very clear that there is a risk that should the quantum computer become a reality, these algorithms for prime factorization and search, and I'm talking about quantum algorithms, can be executed on these quantum computers, then the public key crypto system is at risk. Why? Uh, because the prime factorization, or more in general, this cryptologarithm problem is not secure anymore with the cryptography that is standardized today. Whereas from what concerns shared key type of cryptography, like the advanced encryption standards or other primitives such as uh, one-way hash functions, those can be actually secured uh, against quantum computers just by increasing the security parameters of the crypto system. But what do we do with the public key cryptography? Well, there are several families of cryptography based on different mathematics that can be quantum resistant. For example, there is lattice-based cryptography, which is based on foundationally a set of primitives that are actually common also to homomorphic encryption. There is um, code-based cryptography, similar properties, but different mathematics, multivariate 
cryptographic schemes based on this and Ashby's cryptography. There are various families of cryptographic mechanisms that promise to be secure against quantum computers. So what is that change uh, in between potentially being endangered by quantum computers to today? Well, the industry has been working together. And thanks to a standards body in the United States, like NIST, but also internationally, like ISO, the International Standard Organization, we now do have standards for post-quantum cryptography. And the standards basically uh, pick candidates that belong to different families for the implementation of different security mechanisms. Quantum computers are uh, closer than they were before, but how far from reality they are is still an open question. The only thing that we know is that we need to start protecting now. And for that, uh, the standards are in place. And during the standard development, admittedly, industry had done lots of progress in actually studying the algorithms, rolling them out, especially the semiconductor industry like Intel, providing space for hardware acceleration and tools to program post-quantum algorithms and save us from at least three threats that I can tell about. So the first one is basically recording and decrypting later. That's what you would do when someone mm-hmm. is eavesdropping a conversation across the internet. Another uh, important threat to keep in mind is basically the authentication of software that also happens with uh, cryptographic mechanisms. And if those mechanisms are compromised, then uh, clearly there may be proliferation of software that is not genuine, so to speak. All this needs to be protected with the rollout of post-quantum cryptography mechanism. And now not only we have the technical means, but we have the standards. So when you mentioned there's like a variety of approaches, lattice-based, multivariate, et cetera, are there multiple standards for the different approaches or are we moving toward one or the other approach? Uh, No. So typically standards for cryptography, they define cryptographic suites that is a mix basically of crypto primitives for their use in different security mechanisms. Like, for example, is this bulk encryption? Typically, bulk encryption into a a secure channel after authentication of the parties. So the authentication Mm -hmm. will be done with certain security primitives. The key exchange basically to enable the bulk encryption is yet another security mechanism. And then there is a bulk encryption that is the typical encryption that you have uh, that is this. Mm -hmm. So typically, a standard would define all these mechanisms and the way to use them properly, as well as what is the parameterization of these mechanisms and their deployment to reach a certain level of security that everyone has agreed on in the industry. So any approach you want is okay as long as it meets certain criteria? Yes. Okay, understood. What else is going on in the encrypted computing world? Oh, so much is going on. Uh, We talked about the standards for cryptography. Uh, we talked about, uh, you know, there is a hardware acceleration coming. It's a big, big deal. Uh, and that comes also with uh, tools and other means basically to appropriately uh, program the accelerator. But I have to say that this type of cryptography is very different from the classic cryptography because you are processing encrypted data, which is something that you were not doing before. So what does that exactly mean to us? Well, first of all, the cryptography underneath needs to be secure, it needs to be parameterized properly, and that we understand. That's similar to what it happens 
in post-quantum cryptography or pre-quantum cryptography when you want to enable certain security mechanisms. Great. However, because you are processing encrypted data, now the driver doesn't really come much from the cryptography as much from the application that is processing the encrypted data. And so there are several other research vectors that needs to be tackled. Once you you are past the standardization and you have closed the performance gap, which is the ability of people to write program that have the same functionality as the clear text program, but actually they process encrypted data. Mm-hmm. So that translation problem is uh, the next big problem that we do need to uh, to address. Because the question is, okay, are we already doing it or is there something that is baking? Well, the homomorphic encryption community worldwide is not that big, but it's very sensitive and very knowledgeable about all these, uh, these various problems. And uh, within that community, there are several working groups. And one of these is specifically looking into programming languages for processing encrypted data, as well as the translation of vanilla programs into their equivalent to process encrypted data, as well as how are you going to deploy these programs in the context of systems and communication infrastructures, generally speaking, communication and compute infrastructure that already exist. So all of these enters into the realm of education, you know, really growing a new workforce that has interdisciplinary mindset between application and something that is a cryptographic mechanism that it's not doing necessarily classic security mechanisms like uh, authentication or bulk encryption of key encapsulations and other things, but it's actually there to assist to process encrypted data. The application logic needs to evolve to process encrypted data, but then all of this needs to fit within a certain data lifecycle that already exists. Amorphic encryption and by induction encrypted computing is probably the only encrypted data processing technologies that has all the right properties to fit in. That's a lot of work. And so it sounds like one of the main things is just going to be helping translate or have that link between software and hardware, making good use of hardware acceleration in the encryption, and then ideally having it set up so that developers don't have to learn in depth how to make this work that they can somehow plug into, I don't know if it'll be API or some kind of a layer that's actually doing that underlying work on their behalf. That is right. And in fact, we are following something that is not entirely new, which is the history of computer science. (laughs) Once you get into the encrypted domain, you actually end up with a very primitive computing model. And therefore, it's just like having 40 years ago, a coprocessor that is capable to process uh, real numbers. Mm -hmm. Okay, so to speak. We are at that stage in this moment with a lot of needs because people are saying, well, can you do large language models in homomorphic encryption? Mm-hmm. Can you do these other applications and things, which are applications that have grown like in the past 10 years and they've exploded, not only in terms of their usefulness, but in size, as the data size and the data available to this application keep increasing. Now, morphic encryption, you know, makes baby steps, but yes, it's very useful in a number of application domains and it will continue to be 
more and more useful as encrypted computing keeps making strides forward? Will it be used in sort of a hybrid form at all, where some things are kept in protection, processed in the clear, other things are actually retained, encrypted always? That's a very good question in many ways. So not everything needs to be protected, and not everything has the same sensitivity, right? The likely use of homomorphic encryption will be as part of your data pipeline. Mm -hmm. So again, it's all about data. And the application drives what you do with this data and encrypted data. At some point, as you get into a block that is doing encrypted computing, the output will always be encrypted. Mm -hmm, Okay. mm -hmm. And then the problem remains uh, on how you mix that output with other output that doesn't have the same sensitivity. Mm -hmm. It is an open problem. There is a lot of literature in the computer science and engineering fields even for what concerns uh, things like high-level synthesis, when you want to define some variable that is secure, some other that is not secure. Uh, but with homomorphic encryption, there are similarities, but the problem is a lot more complex because in this data that you are trying to protect oftentimes carry personal information, or it can leak indirectly personal information. And so this is the first time that the security technology is not pushed by compliance, but is pushed by the fact that uh, every single being, living being, has an intuitive understanding of what privacy is. And that makes a huge difference and makes it also very exciting. Cool. Well, uh, Ro, thank you so much for your time. Again, Principal Engineer in Intel Security and Privacy Computing Lab, and he's Chief Scientist of Privacy Enhanced Computing at Intel. Thanks, Camille. Stay tuned for the next episode of In Technology and follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation. Intel Corporation.